Hey, this is Eugene Rapkin, and you're listening to the Style Zeitgeist Podcast. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Style Zeitgeist Podcast. This is Eugene, your host. I am back with our friend of the pod, Philippe Hashemi, a writer, critic, commentator, coach, consultant. And uh, yeah, one of the most interesting people I've, I have the pleasure of speaking with about fashion. Welcome, Philippe. Thank you for the flowers, Eugene. They're beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> A dozen red roses. <laughs> um, so we spent quite a bit of time in Paris together, which was lovely. Uh, yes. We went... Uh, to some of the same shows, and we did not go to some of the same shows as well. <laughs> uh, and I wanted to, you know, we spoke about it in Paris, but I wanted to ask you, uh, it felt this season was particularly irritating, perhaps is the right word to use, in terms of just getting to the shows, getting invitations to the shows, being at the shows, mm -hmm. the whole thing has become quite messy. Yes, it's become quite tedious, especially for experienced journalists. You know, a lot of confirmations get to you uh, last minute, sometimes a, a few hours before the show. Uh, so you're really chasing PRs constantly, trying to get your seat. And it just feels very, this season, it felt even more chaotic and disorganized, you know, particularly in Paris. Um, everything was last minute and uh, that was quite stressful, I thought. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I actually I got a couple of invitations, physical ones, after the show. That I came back to my hotel and they were like, look, your invitations. But yeah, it's been like the circus around the shows is really out of control. And what I noticed more than ever, it was celebrities and influencers displacing editors and buyers who have been relegated to second row, third row, or even standing like a friend of mine who is a buyer uh, for a store, like got a standing invite for one of the shows. And I was like, this is crazy. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Yeah, I find that I mean, quite, this is literally you know, a person who gives the brand money every single season for the past three years. Yeah, but we could say the same with people like us who produce, you know, substantial content. Uh, online or for print, you know, which is very important for certain brands. And this is how we get treated. So I, I felt exactly the same way. I felt sometimes it was really, really insulting, you know, and um, mm -hmm. and especially buyers. I mean, come on, you do not give a standing uh, ticket to a buyer. I mean, that's basic rule number one. <laughs> it's really <laughs> so. Yeah, it's it's just common common sense, common knowledge in fashion. You know how to treat certain people. But yes, you're right. I noticed exactly the same thing uh, at the shows. Yeah, it seems like the only metric that matters today for, and I don't know whether it's brands, and I know sometimes for a fact that this is a PR for the brands and not the brands themselves because I had these conversations with like designers of the brands and they were like 
what do you mean you were in second row? Like, what do you mean? Like you were not invited to my show and mm. they were like shocked. And, uh, I have, and it seems to me like the only matrix that matters today is your Instagram following. Like it doesn't, and nothing else matters. Like not the quality of your work, not the quality of your audience. Mm. It's how many, like how many Instagram followers or TikTok, I guess at this yeah. point i don't know uh you have which is it's crazy like i was looking I'm like there's some editors in chief from global publications that are in second row i sometimes also have the feeling that it's about you know pr agents that are roughly our age putting 20 year olds front row just to make themselves look hip and more relevant, you know, mm -hmm. I also had that feeling like they want to look young. They want to appeal probably to a, a much younger audience. So they're putting all these YouTubers and really, really young uh, people in the front row. And I was just thinking, yeah, it's just ageist as well, you know, because mm -hmm. I, think, <laughs> I mean, I mean, I'm in my mid forties and, and I already start feeling old sometimes, you know, when I go to certain shows, I just mm -hmm. think, my God, I look around me and, and nobody's a, over 50 almost, you know, it's very strange. So, uh, yeah. yeah, sometimes you feel like you're part of a dying breed, you know, the, the fashion journalist slash whatever. So it's a bit, <laughs> yeah, it's a bit bizarre. It's a bit strange. Yeah. A fashion journalist with a brain. It's a dying breed. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> um, but I have to say, you know, I honestly think that editors should start pushing back and buyers should start pushing back and really start being vocal about the circus that's going on. Because I think the editors in particular have been so cowed by the imbalance of power that they just don't complain anymore. And, and I think yeah. we should simply voice and just say, look, uh, it's not like ridiculous, on the basic level, it's just unprofessional. And that's all it is at the end of the day. Yeah. And the thing is, I've been going to shows for, you know, uh, almost 20 years and I produce content on a regular basis and I have, you know, nice relationships with certain designers. And when you find out that the PR is trying to block you or just refuses you point blank and the designer doesn't know, there's also a major disconnect between what yeah. the designers are aware of and what the PRs are actually doing in their back. Mm -hmm. And that's something that, you know, I mean, it's not the first time it's happened and it will happen again and again and again, but it does show you that it, it's a messy, uh, disorganized, you know, unprofessional setting. And it just makes everything more difficult. And I guess also the complaining and trying to regain some sort of recognition or acknowledgement is also an effort. And, uh, yeah. and, no and nobody is willing to make that effort constantly. It is draining. It is draining. Mm -hmm. I mean, I have to say it, you know, it's, it's very tiring. So, uh, for some yeah. people, it's just not an option, I guess. No, I, uh, yeah, I agree. And sometimes like some people say, Oh, you know, it can be, you know, like, a new person at the PR, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm like, you know what? I am tired reintroducing myself and quote unquote, sending my resume to each new person. I'm, I'm only a Google yeah. search away. This is not that difficult. I know. 
I know. No, it's lack of it's lack of respect, lack of knowledge, and lack of understanding. Maybe of you know uh, of the things that we do. But we, I mean, we as as an industry, as professionals, we have to reclaim fashion as our own. We really do. Yeah. And you know, if we don't do this, then uh, other people are are getting in, and they just you know they're just messing it up. You know. So that's it. We I really believe that it's time to reclaim it. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. So, so much for those people. It's, it's about them. Because like I say, the only Instagram filter is the me filter. So they actually use shows like to promote themselves exactly. and not the other way around. Yeah. But also they're not engaging in, in a conversation about fashion. And that at the end of the day, that is the point for editors to go to a show to engage in the conversation about fashion. Yeah, I mean, if I was, sometimes I read some reviews, maybe you've come across them too, one on Airdem saying, oh, this Airdem show was particularly Airdem, you know, and this, <laughs> and that's your review, you know? It's like, I don't know what you just said. <laughs> but yeah, that, this, these people have, have huge following, you know, and this is what they write and that's how they talk about fashion. I'm sorry. It's just yeah. so poor. I don't even want to acknowledge this, you know, it's really, for me, it's like yeah. the, the end of, the end of criticism. So <laughs> I really, you know, yeah. sometimes it's really sad to see that for some, for some people it's enough, you know, it's enough. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. And I think some brands just want an echo chamber. They don't want to engage in the discourse about their work because, you know, God forbid. Exactly. And then everything is and then we come to this to this idea of fear, you know, that at the end of the day, if you are critical, you scare, you scare the machine. I mean, you scare also the PRs mm -hmm. and you, you could come up with, you know, something that they don't want to, they don't want to see or they don't want to, to read. So at the end of the day, you know, this kind of the, the way we treat it is also a reflection of sometimes the sort of power we have. And, yeah. uh, and how we can how we can shake things off or not but there was a lot of fear uh around mm -hmm. during fashion month you know fear from yeah. the designers who were scared to innovate and stuck to their guns there were a lot of collections that felt extremely predictable and also mm -hmm. fear in general of not knowing where we're going how things are going to evolve what this economy is holding for us and uh, you know in periods of crisis like I'm thinking of 93, you had exuberance and you had Galliano, McQueen, Shalaya and all these people. But what we yeah. had this time was the opposite. We had very, very safe statements <laughs> yeah. coming from a yeah. lot of, a lot of brands. And, um, yeah, that was, I felt it to be honest before going to fashion week. I felt that it was going mm -hmm. to be a lackluster safe uh, edition. Yeah. Yeah, well, me too. And funny, you should say this. This is exactly so. Uh, this is exactly what I wrote um, in an article I'm writing for a new publication I will be contributing to, which is very exciting. But it's exactly what I wrote that in times of crisis, you either kind of like go big or go home in terms of yeah. creativity. And like yeah. everyone or most people went home, like all the, you know, there were many debuts and none of them uh, were exciting. And the ones who did mm -hmm. the most exciting work are the ones we are already used to seeing doing exciting work. 
Yes, or you really have to make an effort to look for these talents because they exist, but unfortunately they get drowned in the schedule because, you know, there are several shows at the same time in Paris. Now it's quite common. And you really have to research those designers and find them. But I have to say... There were a couple of debuts in Paris that I found I found exciting. Um, and, you know, it, it gave me also a good feeling when I see like 25-year-old designers doing extremely complex tailoring, you know, and doing things that are very intricate and looking for a new silhouette. It makes me very happy because I have the mm-hmm. feeling that uh, they understand that as independent voices, they have to work harder. They have to craft their silhouette. And this is how they're going to get known. So in a way, yeah. you know, um, love of beautifully made garments was something that I noticed in Paris again. And coming mm-hmm. from younger names, it, it made me very, very hopeful, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Great. Well, before we get into those the debuts and other shows, oh, I'm, I'm just going to finish uh, on one thing, uh, this sort of preamble. And again, uh, I think editors should re-examine their relationships with PR companies and really start vocalizing uh, their complaints yeah. because we're so used to they're so used to being afraid because of the such a power disbalance, but it's 2023. What are you afraid of? We can do our job from the comfort of our homes. We, hmm. As much as I love going to a good show, uh, I can see videos and photos the minute the show is over. So you and I and everyone else can do their jobs technically. Like there is no more, there should be no more fear. Oh, I did not get invited to the show, who cares? You can see this Mm. online. You can do your work online. That's how all these, you know, Instagram, TikTok commentators are doing it. Most of them don't go to shows. And I don't see why professional editors shouldn't be saying the same thing. And also, Eugene, the reason why we go to shows is that we are craved for emotion. We are hoping that something is going to touch us that, you know, we're going to see clothes and a vision and also a spectacle that are going to to transport us. And that's another thing that is definitely missing uh, today. Mm-hmm. It's a sense of poetry. And we will be talking about one show that we both really appreciated uh, for different reasons later in Paris. But despite that one designer, uh, no one managed to really move their audiences. And that was something else that also worried me. I was thinking, okay, what's going on here? You know, I mean, are we all jaded? Are we all tired? You know, I saw a lot of journalists, friends, editors complaining, especially towards the end of Fashion Week. Everybody was exhausted. They had Mm -hmm. grueling schedules, you know, and and there's also a a sense of disenchantment with the whole show experience because the show used to be a, a wonderful ritual that would really inspire and excite you. And now it's become a mechanical process and something almost robotic where, you know, nobody's watching the clothes. They're just busy recording uh, fragments of what they're looking at for their following. So, you know, it has become very, very, it's become very sad just to look Mm -hmm. around you in the room and to see that people are just not there. They're not in the moment, you know, they're already planning the next thing and what they're going to post. That is true. So that was also something, yeah, very, um, 
very disarming in a way and, and very depressing that I noticed yeah. uh, it's in Paris. Yeah. yeah. And I think it was very emblematic that, you know, like people recording like Anna Wintour standing up at the end of J.W. Anderson show. This still a show, the, the show is still going and she's like, I'm done with this. <laughs> uh, so I think there was no more emblematic moment than this about what you're saying. And I would take this even further and uh, I wrote about this, but here's the danger of all these, all these safe and flat collections that, mm-hmm. again, I've said it before, but I'll say it again, because this message has to be hammered into people's brains. And I'm talking about fashion professionals here. If we continue putting on bland commercial stuff, we will eventually, people will eventually start turning away from fashion as a discipline in general. And that includes yeah. your brand, Newsflash. Okay. And I'm, mm-hmm. I was already seeing it in Paris. The kids buy vintage. Like you couldn't throw a stone and not hit a vintage store in the Marais this time. I don't know if you yeah. noticed this. Yes, yes, I did. And, yeah. Yeah. And they were full of kids. Kids, they're not buying new clothes. They're not buying new fashion. They're buying vintage because they know it was way more exciting back then and it's cheaper. Yeah. No, it's true. It's true. Just the same way that, you know, uh, I was buying thrift and I was buying secondhand clothes when I was a teenager mm-hmm. because that was the, not only was that the cooler thing to do and it was more affordable, the clothes also had more personality, more character, yeah. and you were guaranteed not to look like everybody else. You know, it was about the cult of individuality and being different and, and not being like, like, you know, some sort of sheep following trends. So it was about cultivating your, your own character and your personality. And, uh, you know, now fashion is such a mass, a mass discourse that I sometimes feel that some of the collections that we saw erased the very notion of, of personality. I mean, it was quite, mm-hmm. it was quite violent sometimes, the thing you saw, you know, because yeah. it directly mirrored the influencer culture and this kind of army of, of robotic slaves promoting brands, you know, that sort of, I looked yeah. some of, some of the girls on the runway and I thought, my God, you look like influencers. I mean, you're ready to go out and post your, post your outfit, you know, it's already, it's all digestible, easy to understand, good for everyone. It has no flavor, nothing. And that's it. And, uh, yeah, let's mm-hmm. say it. It's Gucci. Hello, Gucci, Gucci, <laughs> you know, Ancora, 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 whatever. Ancora. Yeah. 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 That was really, 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 really disappointing. That was one of the first blows that uh, I felt during Fashion Week was that Gucci show. Yeah, 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 for sure. Well, we'll we'll get to it in a minute um, because we got so many requests to uh, start with Peter Doe's debut at Helmut Lang, mm-hmm. uh, which <clears throat> which I went to. Um, I received my invitation two hours before the show. Speaking of. Um, and probably only after my profile on Peter came out in High Snobiety the day of the show, but whatever. I went and uh, I just, uh, I hate to say it because I love Peter's work. I think everyone knows this, uh, but it really fell flat for me. Uh, it lacked edge that Helmut Lang was known for in this kind of a little bit of that sexy kinky edge 
Yeah, and yeah. also for me, it also lacked quality. And uh, I'll say this again: you cannot do minimalism without quality, because mm. then it's just Zara. Yeah, you know, then it becomes mass market stuff. Uh, and you know, Jill Sander, Helmut Lang understood it. The Olsen twins at Durow, they understand this very, very well because. You do minimalism, you can't hide behind ornamentation, you can't hide behind overall construction. It's kind of all there on display. And mm-hmm. uh, I was, it was kind of for me, and at first I thought, like, am I missing something? Uh, but then I read, like, Kathy Horan's review, Vanessa Friedman's review, and I was like, okay, we're all on the same page, so it's not just me. Um, I agree. I would say there were a few aspects missing. There was definitely that sexual anti-bourgeois frisson, you know, and Helmut's interest in the fetish and subverting normal Mm -hmm. things. That was definitely this eroticism wasn't there. Then also I felt that Helmut, despite being a hardcore minimalist, also liked to experiment and come up with, you know, bizarre fabrications, strange shapes, mm-hmm. um, you know, this kind of, he would, he would sort of maybe sometimes generate accidents that would end up yeah. on the runway. And in a way, they were like surprising, unexpected, and a bit conceptual. So he also had that sort of edge. And also what was missing for me was the lightness. Because if you think of Helmut, mm-hmm. sometimes you were close to nothing. It was like a little bit of fabric on the skin, mm-hmm. a see-through dress, something very ethereal, very evanescent, very almost nothing, mm-hmm. a whisper, a whisper of fabric. And I think I was expecting that from Peter. And uh, strangely, I didn't really see it. It felt it felt quite polite, I would say. It felt like mm-hmm. a polite tribute to the master. But I also think that to be fair, and you know, to be fair to, to Peter, who has incredible talent, this I really believe, uh, I think it's very, impo- I mean, it's very difficult, if not impossible, to replicate that moment. You know, that Helmut right. moment in time with the kind of casting that he had, the music, the show settings, it's impossible to copy. You cannot replicate that. So there's no point trying. There's no point trying. And yeah. I think when I saw the Peter Doe show in Paris, I looked at some of the pieces and I felt, oh, I would have loved to see that in the Helmut Lang show, you know? Yeah, that's what everyone said. It's like, wait, that yeah. was better. That was more Helmut than the Helmut Lang Exactly. Show. The spirit was Helmut, but there were no direct uh, references to the clothes, mm-hmm. you know, or to the codes. And I think it's more about the spirit. And I think Peter has it. So for me, it's yeah. just a question of time. You know, before yeah. a little bit like when uh, Saint Laurent, uh, sta- uh, Saint Laurent had Vaccarello, when Vaccarello started, it was also a little clumsy. So I would say, okay, mm-hmm. let, let's let's give him some time to, you know, to feel more free, to feel more free. And yeah. there's a lot of baggage, you know, there's a burden, all that heritage, and uh, let's see how he can transcend it, you know, in the future. Yeah, yeah. I also wondered if it big part of the issue uh, at Helmut Lang is that it's owned by Fast Theory, uh, Fast Retailing, which owns Uniqlo and Theory. And they're stuck in this contemporary sort of department store uh, 
mentality. Yeah. And so I don't I don't think they're giving Peter resources to make it into a full fledged designer brand. Because even like sitting and looking at the clothes like three feet away on the runway, I could mm-hmm. tell that the quality was subpar. And that's never a good thing. Um mm. And so I wonder if he has to do this with like one hand tied behind his back. And, and if that's the case, if fast retailing wants quote unquote a cool theory, like that's not mm-hmm. like what, you know, then we, then they shouldn't be showing it to the fashion crowd who's expecting Helmut Lang level at Helmut Lang. No. Um, I mean, so you know what, what is, yeah. What, what I find also very tricky is that, I mean, I'm sure you feel the same way for all of us. Helmut has a personal, intimate meaning, you know? I mean, for people like us who, who experienced fashion at that time in the 90s, Helmut was like a, a very, he was a very loved designer, you know, he was, and he didn't talk that much to the press, but for some reason, people were very attached to his clothes. And a mm-hmm. lot of people in fashion wore his clothing, you know? Um, yeah. So it was at a certain point, it was almost like the designer's designer, you know, I mean, it was 100%, you know, so I think we all have such, um, su- such personal memories of the first Helmut Lang piece we acquired. Or, you know, mm-hmm. getting that pair of jeans or that jacket and, and really being so happy to wear it. Yeah. And always, oh, always, yeah. you know, always like really, I don't know how to explain, but it, it almost felt like an achievement to score these clothes, you know? And, um, and yeah, I mean, it's, um, I don't know if he's going to be able to, to rebuild that sort of frenzy and that sort of worship yeah. around the brand because yeah. it definitely had a massive aura. It had a huge aura, mm-hmm. you know, so exactly. uh, this, that's what Helmut is about. It's about the aura. It's not even about the clothes, you know? It's, yeah, uh, yeah. Okay. And now that we're on this tangent, I'm just going to continue because <laughs> it's so special. So two things I want to say. One, I think Helmut was one of the first designers uh, to show that fashion doesn't have to be about bling, conspicuous consumption, display of wealth, and all of that. He showed that fashion can be smart. And I think Mm -hmm. that's his real achievement. And that's why it resonated because we all know there are so many people who work in fashion who are smart, sensitive, kind, and intelligent. Like they, and they don't, and culture. Yeah. And they don't want to be covered like in the Versace logo. Mm. And Helmut gave it to them, and that's why I think he's so important. Uh, and two, and like I'm gushing because I just before I went to, uh, for the fashion week, I finished the foreword to the new Helmut Lang book, mm-hmm. uh, and I made it a very personal essay. Yeah. And I recounted my first experience of walking into the Helmut Lang store in Soho on Green Street. And I felt exactly what you were describing. I bought mm-hmm. a denim jacket. This was kind of like washed out uh, olive color. And I remember yeah. walking out with this Helmut Lang plastic bag with just that was just white. So minimal. And just sitting on a porch like next mm-hmm. to the store and I felt so fucking good. 
<laughs> like I, I remember that moment. It's embedded in my memory because I felt like I just added to a part of myself, and you yeah. know, I, I just I added a new part to myself, and it just felt so good. And it was just a denim jacket. Hmm. Yeah. No, so. it's amazing. I, I totally, I totally understand. I totally understand this. It sort of made you feel complete. And there was something about his clothing that was also protective. And, yes. you know, that made you feel like you could, you were armed against reality and against everyday life. And uh, you never felt out of place, you know, and, um, mm -hmm. and yeah, it's, uh, it was a special experience. I mean, same when I discovered Margiela for the first time, I was completely blown away, you know, and the first Margiela pieces I had, they were holy, you know, and I think this is mm -hmm. also this, this kind of attachment and this kind of love we feel for clothes and fashion and, and not just fashion, but for the designers and for the world they created, because it was really a world. You know, from yeah. from the stores to the merchandising to the logo to the fabrics, everything was specific and special and different. And I think it's, um, you know, when you think about that, it's the aura. I think aura is a, is a very mm -hmm. important thing in fashion. You know, it's uh, yeah. yeah, it's what it's actually right. the difference between clothing and fashion is aura. You know, and how much and how much clothing uh, express the personality of the designer, how they yeah, inhabit yeah. that space. You know, that special creative yeah. space. Yeah. Yes. Well, that's exactly how I felt looking at the second Burberry collection by Daniel Lee. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Well, you know what? Uh, when it comes to Burberry, when it comes to Dior, when it comes to Gucci, when it comes to all of these brands, even Chanel, I mean, I don't expect anything from them anymore. It's done. Mm -hmm. You know, I do not expect yeah. innovation. I do not expect creativity. It's always the same. It's super easy to understand. A lot of it is ugly too, actually, because it has to speak to a much larger audience than it used to. Yeah. And it has no sense of humor, no sense of mm -hmm. humor whatsoever. I mean, you know, um, that's what I find quite sad in fashion today. Um, there's no wit, you know, there's no, there's no irony. There's no, everything is sort of like first degree, and, mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's, I mean, all, all of these huge so-called luxury brands, they just have nothing to say now, you know, it's just, pro yeah. it's just product and yeah. it's smart product for the clients and it's expensive handbags. And that's the end of it. And there's nothing mm -hmm. else to expect, you know, so I would, mm -hmm. I would not expect anything, any kind of storytelling or personality from these brands because sadly it's, it's over, you know, it's completely yeah. over. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I do think Daniel Lee does have a sense of humor a bit at Burberry, but it's just like it's everything is so haphazard, <clears throat> and it's just not enough. And I looked at the second collection, and I thought, okay, well, this can't be any worse than the first. But that was a very low bar to start from, and it was marginally better. But still, I was like, where are? idea it, and where is coherence 
I mean, compared to what he did at Bottega, Burberry is instantly forgettable. Let's face it, you know. Yes. You look at the show and then you forget about the clothes. There's nothing mm -hmm. There's nothing that grabs you, you know. And at Bottega, yeah. you were like, oh, wow, what's going on here? Because he really yeah. did something with Bottega that was unexpected. You know, if you remember yeah. that Thomas Meyer was a designer before and he was doing this very good taste bourgeois, you know, sort of thing, which mm -hmm. was working, it was selling. And he came in and he, he brought like massive edge into the brand mm -hmm. and, and singularity and things like that. It's not happening at Burberry. So maybe there's too many cooks in the kitchen. You know, maybe there's... I really think it's that because I, there are two conversations that I've been having. And one is people are telling me, oh, well, you know, how do you reinvent house of like Burberry because it has no codes. And I'm like, what are you talking about? If there is any house in the world that has clearly defined codes, it's Burberry. Hmm. Which is like, what you start with is you take the trench coat and you make it modern. You, you yeah. like, you, you modernize, you change the hell out of it. I'm like, Junior can do it. Junior puts out incredible trench coats on almost every collection. <laughs> It's funny you mention him because I, I would put Chitose, Abby from Sakai there. I would put her at Burberry. Mm -hmm. Imagine what she could do there. You know, I mean, you would yeah. be like, you would be blown away, you know? So is yeah. this, is this a casting error? It could be, you know, I, it, well, that was this, that's the second conversation I'm having where people are like, well, maybe it wasn't Daniel at Bottega in the first place, but maybe it was like the team coming up with ideas. But then I thought, you know, actually, if you look at Celine, at Phoebe Philo's Celine, it, re it mm -hmm. was when Daniel Lee came in when it became much edgier than yeah. it was before, because before it was quite feminine. So I re I'm really lost. I mean, who knows? But I don't think this guy has no talent. I think he does have talent. I just don't. It's like the same thing that happened with Ricardo Tishi. I and I think you may be right. Maybe there are too many cooks in the kitchen. Uh, the, the only thing is that you know there, there was sharpness at Bottega while he was there, and there was sharpness mm -hmm. at Celine while he was there, and I find Burberry really fuzzy. It's fuzzy, you know, yeah. it's kind of like, and all these sort of pseudo romantic dresses and all these kind of, it's sort of wishy-washy, you know, this Englishness stereotype thing. Mm -hmm. I just don't find it relevant. I just don't find it, you know, contemporary. I don't find it relevant. So uh, I don't know what he's going to sell besides outerwear because none of the bags and shoes are particularly impressive either. You know, so uh, we'll yeah, see. It, that's true. Yeah, he's. I, I went to the Burberry store uh, in London on purpose, and I perused pretty much as much as I could uh, because the, the salespeople were breathing down my neck. <laughs> was like, just leave me alone. I, I literally turned, told them, "I'm an editor. I just want to see the product because I've seen the show." <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, a lot of the product was quite lackluster and I'm not convinced that the bags he designed will sell, but we'll see in a year or so from now yeah, when we'll the see. financial statements come out. Exactly. Um, yeah. Anyway, uh, before we get to uh, our show of the season, Gucci, yes. uh, I wanted to know <laughs> what you thought of Prada because a lot of people liked it. Well, I will tell you one thing. 
strangely enough, uh, this was Fabio's last collection. You know, he was retiring both at Prada and New Mew, our design director. And I felt that the collection was much more free and feminine, uh, at least at the beginning with all these dresses that were sort of beautiful organza confections. You know, I thought they were unexpected because they were, they were quite sensual, you know, and there was a feeling again of also of, a, you know, a slightly bourgeois um, thing, but twisted in a way. And I thought these dresses, mm-hmm. the opening dresses were particularly beautiful. And then when it got to the same silhouette that he had for the men's, this like strangled waist and the big shoulders mm-hmm. and all these fringes, I found it very forced, very heavy handed. And I was like, oh, here we go. This is rough, you know, mm-hmm. again, uh, yeah. not dealing with the female body. So, uh, <laughs> I, I, you know, I, for me, there were pieces that were interesting, but as a whole statement, I don't know why people find, found it so unbelievable. I didn't, you know, so uh, mm-hmm. it's just my opinion. Yeah, maybe because we're so starved for seeing anything good that people just overreact. Well, overreacting in fashion, you know, it's not like it's a new thing. No. <laughs> it's the thing. Exaggeration. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah. No, yeah. but then it was um, as a whole. As a whole, as a whole statement, it wasn't that coherent either. I mean, what's the link between those first dresses and the rest? You know, I didn't really understand uh, yeah. what the story was. What did you think about it? Uh, I quite liked it. I like the same thing that you like uh, those, you know, chiffon overlay dresses. And by the way, our Helmut discussion made me think while we were talking about, oh, wait, that was actually very Helmut. This kind of it was, and there were a lot of designers referencing Helmut. It was really funny. Mm-hmm. It was, yeah, 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 including people like Proenza uh, and in the most bizarre places. Yeah, there were people referencing. Um, him. No. Mm-hmm. I did like the singed waist. I thought it looked much better on women than it did on men mm-hmm. because the men just made them look ridiculous, like little boys. On women, I felt there was like quirkier which that's yeah. what we love about Prada is the quirk, right? Uh, mm-hmm. What threw me were these like Carhartt imitation jackets, yeah. which I found heavy handed and people love that. And I was like, what? This is such a heavy handed exercise that brought, I think it took away from the collection rather than adding to it. That's one thing just on a, on a visceral level. And on the analytical level, I'm always weary of taking like these uh, blue collar workwear and mm-hmm. making very expensive versions of them, but that yeah. look cheap. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like these mm-hmm. were the, uh, and I, so I, th- that never sits well with me, just like on the societal level. I'm like, you know, just I wish people would stop doing that. Like this, these are blue collar clothes. Like these are, like you're gonna sell two and a half thousand dollar versions of them to mm-hmm. to whom? So that thing for me was cringy. Yeah, I mean, it would have nice. I think it would have been nicer to see something a bit more delicate and a bit more fragile and a bit more ambivalent. 
I just felt like the, the, the start of the show was wonderful. And then, you know, we, we went from the moon back down to earth, you know, sort of thing. It was sort of yeah. like, okay, no, now we're back to the same old, old tricks. And to, to be, uh, to be perfectly honest, I'm, I'm not convinced at all by, by Raf at, at Prada, but it's selling, it's doing well. So, um, you know, I think. Yeah. 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 But what's selling? It's not the runway stuff. It's all the, Black nylon. It's the big triangles. <laughs> That's yeah, what yeah. sells. So it's not like I don't like. I think it's the merchandising that's doing its job. Like I don't think it's just like props genius. Um, which also people forget uh, that like you know there are many other people in the room doing the stuff. It's not just a design yeah. of these brands. Definitely. If they were selling the runway stuff like hotcakes, I would be like, yeah, okay, sure. Uh, but it's not that. It's just like, okay, we, what do we have? We have Black Nylon as the house code and we have the logo. It was on bags before. Now let's make clothes out of them. And, and I mean, it must be a massive collection. I'm sure when you, when you walk into the showroom, it must be like, you know, a huge, gigantic collection. So you can interpret yeah. it the way you want it to be for your own store you know yeah. so yeah you know. well i'm gonna keep preventing you ripping into uh sabato de sarno and gucci and i want to ask you about tom ford first <laughs> the, the debut of uh, hawkins's debut did you take a look at it yes i did and you know what in a strange way although it was completely copy paste and and majorly nostalgic i thought the quality look better and particularly the tailoring it was sharper it looked more expensive and mm -hmm. i was thinking mm, this guy is on to something you know mm -hmm. it, it's sort of like all the kitschiness and the sort of campness that ford uh, had was sort of pushed away and mm -hmm. it was back to like this tailored silhouette and something very very gucci but at the same time surprisingly fresh because if you think about it there was no sportswear it was mostly tailoring uh, but yeah. tailoring done in a sexy way which is what Ford is famous for but mm -hmm. I, I don't think it was bad at all I think the customer mm -hmm. is going to be very happy with that mm -hmm. change and yeah. I think also it's um, it was nostalgic but at the same time my feeling is that they're trying to make it even more luxurious than it used to be, you mm -hmm. know? So they're trying to elevate it even more. In a way, it almost reminded me of Xenia, you know, like some of it. Like mm -hmm. I thought, okay, this is a little bit the kind of positioning they want to uh, they want to have. At the same time, what is really funny is seeing the designer walk out and he's like a carbon copy of Tom. I know, so I thing, know, you know, I know. That was really, that was kind of hilarious. But um, yeah. I, I mean, the clothes were actually, they were actually good clothes, you know? They were actually clothes mm -hmm. that are desirable and they didn't look ridiculous, you know? They didn't look like out of place. So in a way, yeah, it was kind of, uh, I thought it was a good transition. Mm -hmm. transition yeah no. i actually felt the same and uh, i'm gonna tell you right now listeners this this arrange i threw in at philip right now we did not talk about this beforehand uh but i kind of felt the same because i was only looking at it uh carefully yesterday mm -hmm. for an article on, uh i finished this morning and i and i had the same reaction i was like you know what this is what this is supposed to be. 
you know, yeah. Tom Ford made clothes for the rich and idle, mm-hmm. uh, for, you know, men who inherited their wealth or were like, uh, you know, whatever famous casting agents <laughs> and dressed accordingly. <laughs> and, and the woman never worked a day in her life. And Ford was like unabashed about doing that. And that's exactly what we saw. Yeah. And yeah, it, it was this sort of a kind of homage to what he did in Gucci in the mid to late nineties. And, and that is mm-hmm. Ford. Like he's never, he's never claimed anything otherwise. I think, you know, he, he always was like, yeah, my world, my world is lush and loose. Yeah. And that's, they take it or leave it. And also, you know, it was cleaned up when you think about the dresses, the evening. It was sort of toned down as well because Ford had this tendency to get into like, you know, all the, all of these like kind of burlesque statements and things that were a little bit mm-hmm. too Broadway, you know? And I think he, he brought it back down to reality and to the lives yeah. of these, of these men and women. And I, strangely, I mean, I just, you know, I felt it was kind of sleek and sexy and elegant and fun. And yeah, it's exactly what, what the consumer wants from that brand. So it was very faithful mm-hmm. to the original spirit of Tom Ford and what it stands for, you yeah. know, definitely. Yeah, yeah. And unlike Gucci, not a single logo hoodie or a double G buckle in sight. No, it was all about the, the, the construction, the craftsmanship, the fabrics. And the execution, you know, it was a very intricate collection that way. Yeah. 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 Well, Ancora. <laughs> My favorite. I think, I think mm-hmm. he's the new Demna for me, actually, which is a big compliment. <laughs> Correct. For me. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, no, I know. Okay, so let's first of all start with all this like arty farty announcements they made before. We're doing exhibitions. Oh my god. We're doing this, that look at these artists challenging, blah blah blah, all of this. Yeah. And yeah. then I was like, okay, so this is going to be Hermes, right? We're going to go into that direction. We're going to elevate mm-hmm. Gucci. We're going to make it really exclusive really crafted, really chic, you know, a bit snobbish. That's really what I was thinking was going to happen. Mm. And then the show, the show started and it was ordinary to the point of boredom, you know? <laughs> and it, it ended while it started. <laughs> the most generic clothes I've seen on a runway for years. And it was actually a lot of it, these micro minis slashed PVC skirts. You could see the, the, the girl's, you know, underwear while she was walking, super insulting to women. I thought it was also like really this kind of hoary thing, but done in a really bad way. And of course, sportswear again, hello, Gucci hoodie logo, you know, gray on gray, and then give me this and give me that and platforms and more logo on the bags, you know. And I was just thinking, okay, this is Dior. This is Dior. I Mm. mean, the most generic clothes you can think of, logoed accessories, uh, clunky shoes, and here you are. You know, that's it. It's the new yeah. Dior. And I think this is exactly what Gucci is becoming. So it's over. No, it's over. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. I actually think it made Dior look good <laughs> in comparison. It, it did. I mean, I, I didn't go to the show, but I went to the Risi, and I have to admit that some of the clothes she designed look more intricate than what he does. 
but I don't know what that was about. Seriously, this this show, this Gucci collection was mm -hmm. so ordinary and, and so generic. Uh, I mean, it was, and for me, it was also influencers walking down the runway. It was the influencer culture. They all looked the same. They were all like yeah. car carbon copies of each other. And uh, I was really depressed. I mean, when I saw it, I felt like, my God, this is really mm -hmm. like, this is where you wanted to go. That's why you fired Alessandro, you know, for this. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. it was, uh, it was sad. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah. But well, that's it, you know, it's, uh, yeah. Yeah. So let me jump in there. So I, the marketing effort, I want to go back to that because it's important. What you mentioned mm -hmm. was. Yeah off the charts you know that do you know that they wrapped the marble arch in london it was everywhere in, in every major city yeah they did that i was like this is crazy and then like on on different level they partnered like with these like archive pdf which is this very cool uh like history of contemporary fashion instagram account that i loved like, it's like, how do you even know these guys? So they really made an effort to hit, to really blanket our minds with it. Yeah. And almost, you know, with the whole Ancora theme and everything, to almost try to influence our minds that it's already going to be good yeah. before it came out. Uh, but then it did come out and everyone was like, what the fuck? is this um and i have to say you know like even reading tim blanks who's usually very mild i think he was like what is this um hmm. and yeah i mean it was so another bland. another shocking thing it was bland and also a, a lot of it looked like old prada i don't know if you felt that way but some of the dresses some of the mini dresses the satin mm. it felt very prada very sort of like um, you know, this kind of young girl um, trying, this young bourgeois girl trying to shock her mother, you know, it's a bit like this. Yeah. And I, I don't know. I just felt it, it, it's like it's like Chanel now. They're trying to appeal to teenagers. It's the same with Dior. A friend of mine told me that apparently in, uh, in Shanghai, Dior is the most popular brand amongst teenagers, female teenagers. So they all want to have wow. a Dior tote bag and T-shirts and jeans and all this horror. And uh, yeah, I think Gucci is probably aiming for a similar similar market, you know. So, mm -hmm. uh, yeah. No, that, that I mean, and that absolutely, it makes total sense. Uh, but it's strange because obviously they have to, they have to walk that fine line between we need to be perceived. So like we said at the beginning, like the mass consumer is kind of dead this year. Mm -hmm. So we thought a lot of, you know, the strategy looked like a lot of these brands are going to try to go for the 1% because they're looking obviously at brands like Hermes. They see something that they're doing something right. Mm -hmm. uh, but instead, I think they try to do both. Like, yeah, we want to appeal to this, you know, young Chinese girl who wants to buy her first bag. Yeah. But we also want, like, the rich. And it was such a, well, that wasn't really present, to be honest, in the collection. So it looks like they're back trying to please this, like, young mass consumer. But that young mass consumer is largely gone at this point it, i'm sure it will come back when the economic times are better 
Mm-hmm. Uh, but in any case, I mean, my question is this. Why do you put this stuff on the runway? Yeah, I was going to say, if there's no clothes to talk about, why do you do yeah. such a big runway show for shoes and bags? Then don't do it, you know. Do a yeah, movie put it in the showroom. Or, yeah, yeah, exactly. exactly. Put, don't put it in the showroom. Everyone don't. does it. It's, it's totally fine to have commercial product. But why are you putting it on the runway? And you know, or was, are we at that? Sorry, no, go ahead. No, no, I was also what I was going to say. I was expecting it, it sort of goes back to the point I was making earlier. I was expecting it to be adult dressing, you know, like mm-hmm. chic refined adult Gucci dressing. And instead, it was just like this random crap for teens, you know? And I just felt, okay, like, <laughs> you know, and this is exactly yeah. what Maria Grazia did. That's exactly what Maria Grazia did. So yeah. I think it's a, it's a strategy, definitely, and that's where they want to go. And that's where they mm-hmm. want to take the brand. So it's uh, that's it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're going to see when the next two quarter earnings come out, how well they're doing. And I don't think they're mm-hmm. going to be too well because they... Caring already got two downgrades from two different banks. Sorry, it's my Wall Street side. I can't help it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I'm curious whether this strategy is going to work because that is the strategy strategy they're taking at Bottega. They've raised Mm -hmm. prices like crazy. You know, they're pushing all this craftsmanship narrative. And everything. Yeah. And Matthew, Matthew, I should say, uh, he is good at craftsmanship, good at, he's a good designer, good at ID, putting ideas into product. But what's missing for me from his version of Bottega, and this is the third season in a row, is I see lots of trees. I don't see a forest. I, like, I don't see yeah. an overarching idea. No, there is no, there is no red line. There's no, uh, how can I say, silhouette that is a signature. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no. It's it's a bit of everything, and this kind of like, I don't like collections like these. You know, I mean, I would oppose this collection directly to the Saint Laurent one that Vaccarello did, which was all about the safari suits, La Sarienne, mm-hmm. where you know. Anthony has become very good at taking one piece of clothing and exploiting it as much as he can and building his entire show around it. I would love to see Matthew do yeah. this, you know, take yeah, a garment and build a whole Bottega collection around that. I feel mm-hmm. like he's trying too hard to do too many things. And again, trying to please too many people. I don't know, mm-hmm. you know, but yeah, there's yeah. something about it. There's a lot of great things, but it's, it's just directionless you know it's like all over the place everything is mm-hmm. everything and nothing is there and for me it lacks coherence it lacks focus yeah, yeah definitely so uh, exactly the i miss issue. the sort of world world building aspect which at the end of the day that's what uh fashion tour is supposed to do and you know who noticed that this time also kathy horn this is exactly mm-hmm. what she wrote in her review and i thought ah okay that's that's good that she's noticed that as well. Yeah. Um, anyway, well, hopefully it gets better because uh, you know, I do think he's a talented designer. I mean, the product is amazing. <laughs> also <laughs> amazingly. No, expensive. no, it's beautifully like, made. It's beautifully made. No, no, it's, uh, it's, yeah. it's gorgeous. Yeah. 
Uh, and of course, we've been priced out of it 25 years ago, but it's okay. We can just, <laughs> yes. just admire it behind the window. <laughs> yes. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, should we switch over to Paris? Yes, let's go to Paris. Oh, oh no, you wanted to talk about Bali. Yeah, I just wanted to say that Bali was a debut collection. Uh, Simone Bellotti, who is a very experienced designer, very talented, and I like the freshness of it. I like that it was about the clothing first and foremost. There were things that reminded me of uh, 90s Jill in the sort of purity and construction. I love the blazers. I love the leather pieces. Uh, also made me think of like Italian students in the 70s, you know, like lefties going to university. I don't know if there was a nice attitude to it. Uh, something about rebellion, something about craft. And yeah, it, it, for me, it, it made Bali look fashionable without trying too hard. So I think it was a nice, mm -hmm. a nice debut uh, from him, you know, and I'm curious to see how he develops in the future. And I have to say, I'm very happy to see someone, he's probably in his late 40s, uh, maybe older, I'm not sure, but to see somebody like that hired by a house, a real designer with, you know, a sound CV, uh, that's refreshing. Instead of seeing a community manager, uh, you know, staying five months in a house and being fired. So, uh, yeah, I think it's, uh, it's, it's nice. You know, it's, uh, it makes me hopeful as well that we are reconsidering yeah. real designers with knowledge, expertise and talent. So it's, uh, yeah, mm -hmm. it's good. Yeah. yeah. You know, it was weirdly good, uh, on, on a similar note, uh, Walter Kiaponi's a final collection for Todd's, which wasn't yes. even on my radar. Like, why would I go to look at a Todd's collection? But uh, I saw this by accident on Instagram, and I was like, wait a minute. This is really good. Mm. And I went through the whole collection, and it was kind of like a bit of the row in it, but there was this chic. Yeah. Uh, that was really beautiful. And I was like, why is no one talking about this? <laughs> yeah, because strangely enough, uh, it's interesting you say that everybody talked about Ferragamo saying that, you know, uh, he had come into his own and that was it. But for me, Ferragamo was better last season. This season, I didn't really feel it that much. So yeah. I don't know, you know, it's sometimes it's, I guess, the perception maybe of, of actually being at the show and uh, maybe feeling something different, but, um, you know, it's, it, it's the things with like last collections is that sometimes the designers let go. It's a little bit like this McQueen, mm -hmm. the Sarah Burton collection and McQueen, they let go, they go for things that they wouldn't normally show and it gets better, you know? So it's, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. it's kind of ironic, yeah. but that's how it goes. Yeah. I know. I know. Let, let's not, get designers fired more often than they are. <laughs> yes. There's been enough firings this year for sure. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. 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 Uh, so on to Paris and I know we both liked Peter Doe's debut. I think it was first show for both of us in Paris. Yes, it was. And it was actually quite emotional. I liked how intimate it was. It was like a smaller crowd. Um, Mm -hmm. There were some nice little twirls from the model, which reminded you of couture salons in the 50s and the 60s. Uh, you know, yeah. it, it had this kind, it was a nice touch. And some of the clothing, I went back to the showroom afterwards for Reese. Some of the clothing was just exquisite. And 
Mm-hmm. I don't know. I think, you know, it's just the refinement of it. The, you touch it, the fabrics, the way it's made, the comfort, uh, just to clean. It's like an ideal wardrobe, you know? It's, it's like yeah. something I could never reach in my own life, but I look at it and I feel, I feel like, oh, wow, this is the ultimate minimalist opulence wardrobe because it's minimal but it has warmth to it you know it has warmth mm-hmm. it has generosity uh it brings you comfort it makes you feel good it's you know so it's um yeah it, there's something very again there's an aura there's an aura in what he he, he designs you know and uh i f- i felt it very strongly yeah. in that show yeah i did yeah, yeah, I liked it too. The only thing that confused me, and yeah, I like, and listen, for me, especially, this feels like doubly special because it's coming out of New York and we have so little of this like grown up sophistication, tailoring, because it's so much about either sportswear here or this kind of like hipster Bushwick uh, stuff where it's like, like you guys don't know how to make clothes. I don't know who taught you. Yeah, like uh, arty farty, whatever. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, all this. It was same in London. I'm like, I'm so done with this. Like, uh, you know, hipster is then queer bullshit. And like, learn how to make clothes and then do it. Yeah. But, okay, it's it's a whole other podcast episode. Um, but uh, yeah, with Peter, I like I said, it feels doubly special because it's coming out of new york and we don't have we have so little of this that it does feel great Mm -hmm. and a couple of people i interviewed for my uh, article on peter price the value they said exactly that thing they said Mm -hmm. when it arrived it looked like it was done by like an established parisian house yeah totally i mean the the technicity of it and the way it it looks very simple, but it's super hard to make. You know, it's like, and that's why you know it's quite perverse that way. Because um, I mean, simplicity, of course, I said it before, is the is the hardest thing to achieve as a designer. You know, but I think I don't know. Peter has something very very special in the way he looks at also men and women. And for me, it's, it's, um, his clothing is protective, structured, strong, but at the same time, there's a vulnerability. There's something fragile about his pieces. And I kind of love that, you know, I love the contradictions. I love that he can express that, yeah. uh, in clothes and it's subtle, you know, there's a subtlety to what mm-hmm. he does. It's not yeah. in your face. It's not trying to, to be aggressive or anything. It's, it's all about subtle, yeah. subtlety, which I think also comes from his culture, you know, and his vision. Yeah. So yeah, it's sophisticated, very right? sophisticated. Yeah. I mean, he could, you know, you know, actually, I mean, like, let's take him out of Helmut and let's, let's put him at Armani. I would love to see Peter do yeah, Armani. Yeah. You. yeah. And, you know, yeah. and do couture. I'd like to see him do Chanel. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yes. You know, but it's, yeah, it's really, yeah. I mean, there's a, definitely, I'm saying Armani because there's always this East-West dialogue in many of his clothes. Mm, you that's know? true. But, uh, yeah, he has the subtlety. And I think the subtlety is also something that is very rare in fashion these days, the elegance and the subtlety. Definitely. Yeah. 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 Uh, uh, what was your show after Peter? Because I don't think I had anything else Tuesday. 
Uh, my next show was Courage Wednesday morning, which I did not go to because I'm well, sorry, I'm not going to yeah, travel 15 minutes and sit was, in third row. It was far. <laughs> I was lucky that on the way back, somebody uh, somebody dropped me off to my next presentation. So there was a car, a driver. That so was quite okay. not my driver, you know, I wish, but someone else's. <laughs> no, but um, Nicola is, uh, I like Courage. It was kind of more sensual and more easygoing than usual because it tends to be very geometric, very sleek, very sharp. And this time it mm. felt, you know, they had their hands in their pockets. There was a bit more skin. Uh, it was more inspired by the street, uh, this kind of slouchiness. And, you know, I look at the clothing. I think technically it's quite, it's quite masterful what he does, uh, which probably mm. comes from his training with Nicola at Balenciaga, you know. And, right. um, and I think he will probably end up in a very big house. I mean, let's wait and see. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I heard a rumor that he might yeah. end up in a major, in a major house. So, um, he's very talented, Nicola. I think he also understand, understands his times and what, uh, what people want to wear. And he made courage relevant, which nobody managed to do over the past 20 years. No one, no one did that. So, uh, yeah, you know. It's, uh, it's quite an achievement. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I quite liked it too from what I saw later. Um, I thought it was pretty cool. And I agree with you. I do like Courage. And I find it actually strange that quite a few people think it's bland. And I feel like you're not looking close enough. No, you have to look at the details and how it's made. Yeah. 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 yeah definitely. But I agree. I think it's, it's cool. And what I also loved... Uh, rediscovering Quresh for Style Zeitgeist Academy, you know, for the mm -hmm. history of contemporary fashion. Courses that I've been teaching, they are remaking, like those vinyl jackets with the Quresh logo. Yes. I didn't realize they're originals. They're like from late 60s. Yeah, they're very old. Yeah, yeah. He was, I mean, he was a crazy visionary. If you look at also what was really interesting, and Nicolas understands that, is that André Courage was actually shocking at the time. He was shocking women mm -hmm. and, and people in the fashion industry because he was showing body parts that we're not used to looking at yet, you know, with cutouts and, and things like that. He, he used to display certain body parts that were not shown at all. So that was quite shocking. And I think Nicola gets that. And in that last collection, there were interesting cutouts in the pants mm -hmm. and, and everything. And it made it like, it brought something erotic to it and sensual, you know. And I think yeah. we have to remember that Courage was also a very sensual designer, you know. I mean, he loved, yes. he loved to showcase women in an unexpected way. And it was quite modern and radical mm -hmm. at the time. So definitely, he's, um, yeah, he, he's... Um, I think Nicola is the right is the right person, you know, to translate that yeah, language yeah. Uh, for today. Yeah. yeah. Uh, cool. And then let's see what else happened today. There was Dries. Yes, yeah. there was Dries, yeah. which for think? me, well, I'm going to be honest. I I didn't really enjoy the show that much. Um, I was expecting something more romantic. Maybe a bit more exuberant. I like it when Dries takes risks with colors, with fabrics, uh, when he's adventurous, you know, and this felt safer. 
I went to see the collection in the showroom. It was, I mean, again, you know, nothing wrong to say about it. Everything is beautiful. It's very wearable. It was inspired by, you know, boarding school, English uniforms, rugby, that sort of yeah. stuff. But for me, it felt a little bit, uh, a little bit sluggish, you know, it, it didn't have like mm. a lot of energy. And uh, again, you know, I felt that he was in familiar territory and he stayed there. I think, you know, there was not a lot of risk taking mm. uh, in that collection. So I was a little mm. bit disappointed by it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's funny you should say this because he talked about actually being taken out of his comfort zone backstage. And I thought, oh, that's interesting. So I asked him, like, how, what it was about. Mm -hmm. And he said that actually in many of the outfits, like the lack of ornamentation that they yeah. shifted to the shoes. So like the shoes were ornamental, but um, the outfits were not. That's where he mm -hmm. felt like this isn't what people are used to from Dries. Yeah. And I actually like the collection a lot. Um, I, well, listen, I'm a sucker for a long coat. So like every time you put on a long, slim, beautiful coat on the runway, I will probably always like that. And I really love the super elongated silhouette. Um, mm -hmm. that he showed. I thought that was very cool. I love the shoes, but only because I don't have to wear them and I don't think <laughs> anyone, anyone shouldn't because they looked quite uh, precarious. Um, I like the styling and I have to say, I also went to the showroom. Mm -hmm. It's such a huge collection. It's massive. I was like, yeah, the, st huge. the stylist has to be really talented because I'm usually when it comes to stylists, I'm like, I don't understand this profession too much. But here I was like, you know what? Yeah, you really need an eye to tie it all together. Yeah. Um, and it was also unfair to Dries, for, for Dries to play uh, the Smashing Pumpkins because I'm going to automatically like that too. <laughs> um, uh, but I thought it was really cool. The only thing that threw me was like the opening look where mm -hmm. it was a long coat, but with only a bra top and like tiny shorts. And yeah. I was like, yeah, this kind of in the face sexiness. Like, I don't really expect that from Dries. And I know, you know, I mean, everyone was half naked this season on the runway because that's what we're seeing in the streets. Mm -hmm. And there was a lot of sheerness. But still, like, I want the designers to also stick to their guns and simply say, well, this isn't my style. And just because it's a trend doesn't mean I'm going to go there or go there, but in their own way, which is exactly what happened undercover, because there's mm -hmm. also a lot of sheerness. But June made it like, I'm going to take the trend and I'm going to make it completely undercover. And I thought, yeah, and it was super, super creative. Like every silhouette oh was God. exciting. And you were like, wow, how did they make this? And what's going on here? Is it a print? Is there stuff underneath? Like, I mean, I felt, I mean, it's a shame because I actually, actually missed that show. Unfortunately, I had the invitation, but I, I missed it. And I saw the pictures and a lot of people talked about it as being a, a highlight and a very emotional moment. 
and uh, mm-hmm. and that sort of made me angry because I was like, no, I missed that. <laughs> you know, I should have. Yeah, I should yeah. Have. For me, yeah, for me, along with Sakai, like this was best of season. This was probably the show yeah. of the season. And yesterday, I was looking at business of fashion. Uh, picking like their top 10 shows and that was number two uh, wow. and I was like well wow. it should have been number one but I'll take number two as well yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. no ev- everyone loved it I didn't know a single person who uh, didn't love that show and that's which, is, which in a way you know brings us to the following question what did no one else do that kind of show too like why you know why are we so starved for shows like that i mean are they becoming a rarity now in fashion you know what's going on here Mm -hmm. it's really you know because then as you said before like i mean are we going to keep on doing this are we going to keep on traveling go there go to the venues you know to see something that is like luster i mean no we're not we're not going to do that and i feel people should get inspiration from that show and rethink what a fashion show should actually be. Because at this point, sometimes I think of certain shows and I find them irrelevant and, and unnecessary. Yeah. And also yeah, it's, yeah. Um, for me, it's a good reminder of what a fantastic fashion show is, you know? Yeah, and, uh, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll have to say in Paris, Take away the Japanese and the Belgians, and Paris is fucking bad. You can talk about the relevance of Paris all you want, but it's not the French who are making it relevant. No, because at the end of the day, as I said earlier, it was an extremely safe season. And, you know, it's a season of fears also. Uh, You see it because creatively there are not a lot of risks being taken. And when it comes to the luxury houses, I mean, there's nothing innovative there. So I stopped even yeah. thinking that something interesting would come. I don't even look at it anymore, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. except Saint Laurent, like except said, which Saint has been like because, weirdly good yeah, for the past I went three seasons. To, I actually didn't see the show, but I, I did a re-see, and I have to say, I mean, Anthony is a great designer, and it's impeccable, and women will fight for these clothes because they're very flattering. And when it comes to jumpsuits Mm -hmm. and things that are easy but elegant, it is Saint Laurent. It's what Saint Laurent is about. I mean, a lot of Saint Laurent clothes were actually very comfortable because they were inspired by menswear, you know? But, um, I mean, Anthony is also also women. Yes. And Anthony knows what empowers women. He understands what makes, what, you know, what type of clothes make women feel powerful and uh yeah i mean it was uh, the, the the clothing was exquisite like the way it's made it's just yeah. super beautiful so uh yeah yeah he's kind of you know he now he has found his stride at saint laurent and he's going to keep going you know it's going to become mm-hmm. it's going to stay strong because he, he gets it now yeah. he gets the spirit of saint laurent yeah 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 so you must, I must wonder here whether for years he had the mandate of like, okay, you have to continue what um, Eddie Sliman was doing because it sells, like don't mm-hmm. rock the boat. And then finally they were like, go do whatever you think is relevant now because it has run its course. Well, in a way, it hasn't, because if you go to a Saint Laurent store today, you're going to see a lot of heady stuff there still hanging, you know? Mm-hmm. It's like mm-hmm. it's like Balmain and Roustin pretending that everything is new. They still sell the jackets. 
they still sell the jackets that De Carnin, Christophe De Carnin designed because De Carnin is actually from the same generation as Simon and he's a great designer, you know, and mm-hmm. also uh, the biker jeans and everything. Balmain still sells that. So it's the same with with Hedy at Saint Laurent. There are still a lot of pieces that are that stayed in the collection because they know it sells. Yeah. But they're just part of the commercial offering. You know, it's all the denim, the levers. Because, you know, Anthony mm-hmm. does like a skinny silhouette too, you know, so despite yeah, yeah, everything. Yeah. So at the end of the day, that's what Edith Sliman is famous for, you know, so, uh, yeah. Yeah, but going back to uh, my earlier point, yeah, have this at the showroom, have this in the store, we get it. Don't put it on the runway. No, don't put it on the runway. Put a strong statement, yeah. exactly like what Anthony did. You know, he took the, the Saharian, the safari suit, that is an iconic Saint Laurent emblematic piece. And then he made a whole collection out of it, around it. And, you know, that that's strong, you know, because he can take one piece and turn it into a fully blown collection. And that's what he did, you know, and that's the statement. And that's enough for the, for the editors. And that's enough for people to understand and everything else is in your store. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So the fashion show should be a statement like that. You know, it should be a powerful singular statement. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, did you, did you go to the undercover showroom or? No, I didn't have time in the end. So, uh, oh, no, okay, okay. I didn't go yeah, there. Cause the clothes were really, really cool. They looked exquisite. <laughs> they looked exquisite mm-hmm. also yeah, it was very... on the pictures, you know, all this like crystal idea of everything being wrapped up in mesh. It's, it's also, it's also very poetic. I mean, it's rich, it's mm-hmm. poetic, it's elegant and, you could, I mean, you felt it from the images that it was, it was a moment, yeah. you know, it was something incredible. Yeah. 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 And I, I, I talked with June backstage and he said, you know, the, he, he's been feeling very like sort of elegiac because he said a couple of his friends passed away. I think he was referring to, um, Katsuya Kamo, the, who made all these amazing headpieces for him and for Junya. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he said, so I kind of feel I wanted to use this sheer outer layer as a veil to sort of erase my previous work and kind of start anew. And mm-hmm. it was, it was just like, this is a very cool concept. And yeah. And I it's also, it's also very poetic, you know, because at the end of the yes. day, it, it's like poetry. I mean, you know, you, it's a poem and it, it's, I don't know, it's just, it just looks, it puts clothes into a context of, of mm-hmm. narrativity and, and storytelling. And, you know, it doesn't need to be like a very complex story, but it was effective the way that it was presented. Yeah. And I don't know. I think this is really something that I'm craving uh, myself in fashion mm-hmm. and I'm not finding a lot, you know, it's like, come on, give yeah, me, yeah, yeah. give me something extra, you know, besides the yeah. clothes. I know you can make these clothes, but give me something else, you know, give me something exactly unexpected. Yeah. yeah give me a story. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Well, yeah, June is the head of his own company. He doesn't work for a big conglomerate. So I think that's part, but I also love the assertion aspect of it, how he makes everything his own. Mm. I think that's really cool. And even the, like the finale was so brilliant uh, to make these dresses where like the skirts were these like terrariums with roses and, yeah. and butterflies. 
No, it's uh, fantastic. After the show, it was, and they like lit up. And I thought again, like, how cool is this? Like, really, people were gasping in the audience. Yeah, because if you that. think about it, it's also about it's also a metaphor of what fashion is. You know, it's there for a moment, and then and then it's yeah. gone. And it's also about mortality, and it's about beauty, and it's about things that are you know, transient, it's the transience of this whole thing. And I think yeah. it's good to be reminded of that sometimes, you know, and also, exactly. also maybe the sadness and the melancholy, they're also useful and interesting things in fashion. I mean, if I think about Heider Ackermann's shows, for example, some of them were very sad and melancholy, mm -hmm. but they really, they really touched you, you know, they really struck a chord. Yeah. And people were emotional, you know, and, and now, I mean, what's the emotion in the room? I mean, there's hardly any, you know, so that's also... No, 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 yeah. <laughs> People, I don't think narcissists have emotions. No, they don't. <laughs> no, they, it's, no, no. it's become a, it's become all about, that's the predominant uh, disorder in fashion right now. It's like, you look at the audience and I'm like, most of you don't give a shit no. about the clothes that are being shown to you. And... Let's face it, like, yeah. we still, you, we have to acknowledge how fucking hard people work in fashion on these design mm. teams, yeah. putting collections together. And then, like, half of these people are, like, on their phones, texting each other, whatever, posting on Instagram. Like, you can wait to post on Instagram after the show. Take a picture if you must. We all take pictures or videos, like you, but post it after the show. No, Jesus. but I, I really have to tell you, there are some shows I was looking at people and they look like zombies. I mean, they look like robots, mm -hmm. seriously. It's like they've been pre-programmed to get their phones out a certain minute. Then they put them back down, then it's out again, you know, and they're not even looking at each other. I mean, there was a yeah, moment yeah. where people were looking at each other to test the reaction, you know, okay, what is he mm -hmm. thinking? What is she thinking? What does that face mean? What about this expression? And now you don't even have that, you know? And and, yeah, yeah. and then you look at people and they, they just look tired, you know? And at the end of Fashion yeah. Week, as I said earlier, people were just drained out of their, just, there, there was nothing left and they were just tired of having to constantly not be there because that's what they, they are there, but they're not there, you know? They're yeah, not, yeah, they're not exactly. actually in the moment. And I think we have to learn again to be in the moment with the designers, you know, and mm -hmm. I'm sure it frustrates tons of designers, by the way. I mean, they must be very angry with that, you know, but uh, yeah. Yeah, I think so too. But also I wonder if some designers are like way too differential to this whole scene, like designers who are heads of their own houses. At Rick, there were so many celebrities and influencers this time. And I'm like, why, Rick? Mm. Out of all people, you don't need this shit. Do you really need Jared Leto at your show? Mm. Like, looking like a clown? Honestly, like, I don't... He does... He contributes nothing no. to your brand. But, you know, at the end, really he, I think he started... Rick started doing red carpet as well, which I was really surprised to hear, apparently, because there are more and more... Apparently, more and more stylists are requesting one-off, you know, uh, dresses and looks. And I just think, okay, this is very strange. Mm -hmm. It sounds a bit too American for me, you know? It sounds... <laughs> so I, I don't I don't know. I mean, I think it's it's odd. But I, again, I wasn't at the Rick Owens show. I mean, now it's been 
years that I request this invitation, and for some reason, I never never get it when I used to be. That's crazy. But, I think that's um, crazy that you don't yeah. get invited to Rick's show. It's always the same. It's like, yes, sure, we will, we will, uh, we will get back to you a few days before the show and an hour before the show. It's like, no, we can't accommodate you, ciao. You know, so yeah. And again, you know, it's all these things that make it, that make Fashion Week also. And I'm really trying not to get, uh, to get annoyed by this, and I just move on. You know, but yeah, mental sometimes. Exactly, but sometimes you're just thinking like, you know, why. And it's just because you're not talking to the right person or it's somebody else now or whatever, mm -hmm. and you lose all the connection you had to a, a house, you know, and it's, you have to start from scratch. So it's also, yeah. like, you know, yeah. What did you think about Rick's show? I, in theatrical terms, I think it did the job and it did what it's supposed to do, but could I say that there was something new there or that, you know, something really surprised me? Uh, not really. So mm -hmm. uh, again, you know, I would say that like a lot of other designers, he did what he does best. He stuck to his guns, but I didn't see any kind of revolution taking place. You know, um, mm -hmm. I see very similar things. So I, I didn't, I didn't find it particularly distinctive, you know, compared to other mm -hmm. recent shows. Yeah. 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 I, I had conflicted emotions. So on the one hand, I really loved the clothes. Mm -hmm. There's some silhouettes that I thought were like super cool. Uh, however, those models were struggling to walk. Okay. And I'm like, it's 2023. I don't mm -hmm. know how much room we have for this. Like, I think it's designer's job to help women live and not prevent them from living yeah. today. And they were very constricted, like a couple trips. They were bare, like, they could, you know, they like goose step, like you couldn't take a proper step mm. in most of those clothes. The, the waist, the waists were impossibly thin. I mean, yeah. I'm not the one to shout about like, uh, size inclusivity. That's fine. It's a valid argument, but I'm just, it's not argument I care to engage in mm. on the runway because on the runway you present the vision, but man, I'm like those, it was like almost painful to look at them. Mm. And yeah. I did not think that was cool, to be honest. It's not very empowering for the woman that wears it. No. It's not, it's not. And, and he used to be able to do skinny and comfortable at the same time. And that's Rick's real strength and achievement that like his women look like absolutely striking, sort of like praying mantis that will bite your head off and then be like, yeah, I, yeah. I want that. Yeah, they look powerful. Um, they look strong. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But they were also comfortable because, like, the fabrics were stretchy. Um, there were like stretchy inserts in leather jackets. It was, I think, it was both. And this, I was like, oh, I, I'm sorry, I can't get behind this. Mm. So, 
anyway. Um, but did you did you go to the Uma Wang show that was that morning? Yes, I did, and I found it strangely conceptual to the point that, mm -hmm. you know, uh, some of the looks seemed a little bit far-fetched for me, like it was trying a little bit too hard. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and, you know, it's a little bit this idea of a comme des garçons silhouette, like uh, seeing an art piece on a woman, something that looks totally impractical. Mm -hmm. She can't move around with it. It's got folds everywhere. It's like protruding from every angle. That's not very modern. Um, mm -hmm. So I thought Uma's collection last season was much stronger than it was inspired by Joseph Boyce and there were a lot of felt, different textures. Mm -hmm. But this one I, I wasn't particularly impressed by, I have to say. No. Okay, okay. Yeah, I quite liked it, I have to say. I thought um, it was beautiful. The fabrics were amazing. Because mm -hmm. uh, I, I, I went to the showroom and it sort of, touched everything and turned everything inside it's out. very everything well made like, it's yeah yeah it's yeah well yeah, yeah it's made in italy uh not actually also a lot of it is made in china but and it's very well made mm. and a lot of it is made in italy and fabrics are italian uh, it's really nice but there was again that like even the challenging pieces also on the rack looked comfortable okay you know everything was stretchy everything was like well constructed everything was comfortable and i love her these kind of the 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 color palette that uma uses this like very earthy precious mm -hmm. metals kind of lived in italian ruins color i really I really enjoy that. Yeah. Sometimes I look at it and I think, oh, it's a bit old looking, you know? It's sort of like for, mm -hmm. yeah. for the woman who used to wear Yoji when she was 25, you know, or 30. And, mm -hmm. Yeah. It, or, or Jill or, you know, or Margiela, and then she's going to wear this. Mm -hmm. So uh, sometimes mm -hmm. I find it a bit dated. Uh, you know, it's the mm -hmm. same thing with the Comme des Garçons show. I just think, okay, it's fun for five minutes, but then... Who, who walks around like that besides uh, Michelle Ellie? I mean, you know, that's the thing. It's like, I just find it yeah, a bit yeah. like this idea of woman as walking art installation is, is completely old fashioned, you know? So, uh, yeah, I, I, I mean, that, I have to say, I agree. There has to be a fine line between interesting clothing and, and looking like a puppet, you know? So, uh, yeah. Mm. It's, uh, yeah, yeah, clothes uh, clothes are meant to be worn, you know, they can be extreme. They can't overpower they can... you, you know, that's the thing. They cannot mm -hmm. overpower you and and turn you into a concept, <laughs> a walking concept, yeah. you know, which is what Ray uh, likes to do, Yeah, just to like... No, yeah, I, I agree, I agree. I feel like the entire Comme des Garçons family kind of did that this season. Mm -hmm. There was a yeah. lot of stuff where I thought, Especially with Junior and Noir, like, come, I'm already used to it. Like, I'm like, yeah, whatever's going to come out, we know this belongs at an art gallery and not on the runway. Mm -hmm. uh, but with Noir and Junior, there is usually that fine line where they will throw in something in there for, like, just to say, look how far we can push the envelope, which I love. But there was, mm -hmm. like, way too much of that, I think, this season in both Junior and Noir, where I was like, yeah, this is amazing to look at. I admire the construction. Like, your pattern makers are clearly not from this planet. Uh, it's how incredible they are. But at the same time, 
this isn't really it's a bit clothing. overwrought right it's a bit too much mm -hmm. it's a bit like i mean this season i think we're looking for things that feel a little bit more effortless and simple you know so some yeah, of it is yeah. some of it is impressive and technically accomplished but it does feel a bit heavy and a bit sort of you know uh, too complicated so especially for mm -hmm. a summer season given the temperatures we had in paris in, Octo oh, in yeah. october you know like sweating yeah. away uh so yeah it's a little yeah. bit it's not realistic but um yeah yeah it was legit summer too by the way we haven't talked about that but it was very strange i'm like i'm in a t-shirt all day long yeah I, yeah me too i packed the wrong things i had uh, like jackets and coats i didn't wear any of them i was just wearing t-shirts every day so yeah. it was quite sad so. yeah it's funny in that way also like e even the eog felt a little bit tiring this time mm -hmm. i was like it's just more of the same and i love it don't get me wrong and i'm sure in stores it will look amazing but there was something of like, maybe Yoji is tired too. Mm -hmm. uh, he turned 80 recently. Wow. Okay. Um, can you believe that? <laughs> he doesn't look his age at all, I have to say. No, no, he looks awesome. Mm -hmm. I'm like, yeah, role model for sure. Uh, but also, and then the looks that were simple were too simple. There were these like, you know, pant and best pairing with these low slung metal belts that frankly belong at anthropology like these mm -hmm. like hippie <laughs> things um again clothes were still beautiful but i was sitting after the show and i was like i don't have the vocabulary to describe this anymore because i've said all these words mm -hmm. times and times again yeah you know what i mean yeah what did you think about Margella and the whole presentation and the way they were walking and everything? Did you find it completely ridiculous or did you enjoy it? I I only looked at photos, to be frank. I was, I'm kind of done with Galeano at Margella and I'm kind mm -hmm. of done with the whole brand. So I think it needs a change. And better yet, shut it down. But... Um, Someone told me about it and I looked. I didn't see the video, so I don't know how the models walked, but it looked from the photos, yeah, that there was like something going on. Mm -hmm. It all felt awkward and irrelevant. I feel like yeah. Galliano has been playing inside his mind for so long that he's lost like all time. He's kind of disconnected. I mean, what, what I like about it is that when you take the pieces individually, it's actually super creative and it's, and, mm -hmm. and it's experimental. And there are a lot of things that are exciting. And I think in a way it sort of went back to what he did at the very beginning for Margiela, all about deconstruction and exposed seams and unfinished hems and all that business. So it's sort of, I like the kind of spontaneity of it. You know, it was very sort of raw in a way, but at the same time, the whole theatrics make it look kind of old fashioned. And mm -hmm. it's really bizarre, you know, because I feel that a lot of the work goes back to what he did in the eighties. And I've been looking, yeah. I've been looking a lot more at his graduation show and the collections he did in the late eighties. And I see the links now between this and what he does now for Margiela. So he's almost like constantly self-referentially revisiting himself, you know? And I think, I guess that's his weakness and his charm at the same time. 
you know, that he is his own, yes. he is yeah. his own universe, his own planet, you know, so. Exactly. Yeah. And that's why, it, that's why it never fit with Margiela, because I was like, what do you think he's going to do there? It's, it's going to exactly. be like, he's so strong in what he does and so talented yeah. in what he does. He's going to do that. That's why I was like, find him a more fitting home. Yeah. It's like asking Picasso to, to uh, paint Matisse, you know. I mean, it's going to look like yeah, Picasso. Exactly. Do you know what I mean? It's the yeah. same thing. So, but no, it's a, in a way, uh, in a way, you know, there's also a lot of work in the clothes. That's what I want to say. And it's a bit sad because I have the feeling that uh, hardly any of it is produced or worn or bought no, by the stores. Not, not then it's, yeah. you know, denim, sneakers, uh, bags, whatever. The you fucking know, the, tabby that I never want to see again in my life. <laughs> the, the, the tabby. Now they're using like the four stitches everywhere. It's like a logo thing everywhere. It's yeah. becoming really... So, you know, it's again, it's sad. It's a little bit like, you know, yeah. clothing with no reality. You know, in a way. Um, yeah. Oh, you you probably you probably didn't listen to my episode with Julius Erbo, but you know that the four stitches are trademarked. Okay. How ironic. Okay. <laughs> wow. <laughs> that peak irony. Yeah, yeah, it's all trademarked. That's, that's so, funny. That's funny. Yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, the yet another debut at Anzu Millimister. Um, oh yeah, let's thoughts. you talk about Anne and I'll talk about one debut that I liked and then yeah, I think Okay. So uh, you start. Well um I didn't go because I had to teach a class, so I couldn't so like timing didn't work. Uh also again it was very far and very late. I'm asking you mm -hmm. designers to reconsider doing this. Not all of us are chauffeured. No. Um and uh, so I looked at the photos, and actually, I didn't think it was bad, but obviously, I didn't think it was good either. Mm -hmm. It didn't elicit that much emotion. The best pieces were the archive pieces, like straight up copies, pretty much. Yeah. So that's very telling. So I don't know. And then I mean, I, let's I, let's I be frank. What is what is the point of it? I mean, why continue? I don't know. Do you know what I mean? I don't know. It starts I feeling don't know. a bit like I don't know. I mean, I don't know. Uh, that's the question that everyone is asking. Everyone is asking the same question: How can you revive this brand without Anne? Um, and I do think there are ways to do it, but it's going to be very very hard. I feel like almost the only comeback that can happen is two ways. Either you make an incredibly strong archive-based statement, yeah, uh, or <laughs> you just wait till like all the kids rediscover it in the vintage market because you know it's going to happen. Mm. Three, four, five years from now, all the fashion kids are going to be wearing, and I guarantee. You, they will rediscover yeah. it through these archival. They're, they're probably wearing it already as we speak. Yeah, probably, probably yeah, because like it's it's all about Gautier now, and then three four years now, I guarantee it's going to be all about and so mm. start collecting now if you want to make a profit. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, it was kind of like you know, there's a vision is missing. Mm. Vision is. Missing. I agree. No, I will tell yeah. you one. And one what did debut you like? I, well, one debut I was quite uh, quite excited about was Alain Paul. I don't know if you heard of it, but he's a guy who used to um, 
assess them now. And uh, okay. he presented his collection, Théâtre du Châtelet, which is a beautiful venue. And uh, we were all sitting on the stage. So instead of sitting um, across the room, we were all on the stage looking at the models. And Kim Pears opened the show and it was very wow. beautiful, full length street, uh, street tailoring. It had a sort of um, goth edge to it, but very subtle. And it was beautifully constructed and I loved it. And I thought, wow, this is really fresh in a way. And it reminded me a little bit of Olivier Tescans when he started, you know, he had this mm -hmm. sort of darkness, mm -hmm. this beautiful darkness yeah, yeah. and this very long silhouette that I saw also in a lot of other shows. So that, that got me quite excited. So I'd like to find out more about him. He's French. He's like in his twenties. Oh. Yeah. And, um, it was Alan Paul. Yeah. Yeah, and it was exciting. Okay. It was exciting. So uh, I'm curious. I'm gonna look at it. Look it up and tell me. Yeah, it. tell me what you think because it's um, it's promising. It was a very promising start. So uh, okay, yeah. cool. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I guess that brings us also to our, our beloved Demna then, and his uh, homage. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God! All right, listen, we gotta talk. Whatever the collection was, whatever nobody cares. It was same thing we've seen a hundred times but yeah. let's talk about that video after the show that was posted on interview magazines yes. instagram where demna was going off like how about it's not about likes it's not about influencers it's not about business strategy it's about crafts like blah blah, blah. and and everyone was like dude you need therapy like Oh yeah, it's like complete denial. Yeah, it's complete denial. It's a complete. He's the king of cognitive dissonance. It's a com like you are the fashion system is broken. You are the fashion system. Hmm. You've been on top of that dung heap for a decade. Like, what are you talking about? And I told you, it's. The, I think it's tragic in a way because he's desperate to be taken seriously now, and he wants to. Yes, the, the, he wants to that. remove. He wants to remove the irony from everything he does. And that's why he went for the homage to these woman cards. And that's mm -hmm. why he asked them to be on the runway. And a lot of these women we know personally, they're friends, you know. So it was kind of, in a way, it also sheltered him from criticism. You know, because when you put Kathy yeah. Horian, Inge Gronjar, Diane Pernet, Linda Lopa, when you put icons like this on the runway, you're, you're sort of removing yourself from sarcasm and criticism. And I felt uh, that was kind of smart, I would say, you know, cunning from his part. Mm -hmm. And I think, again, it was so Margella to the point of being, you know, <laughs> Again, like uh, co copy-paste Margiela show. I mean, everything, the red curtains, the oversized jackets. I mean, the woman, the real woman wearing it. That was also very Margiela. But the first yeah. part was like this. And then it went back to business as usual, basically. The, as you said, the same clothes, the same tricks, sportswear, tired looks, etc., etc. And I think it's too late now because without the controversy and without the shock value, nobody gives a toss about Balenciaga. That's the thing. Mm -hmm. You know, if there is no scandal attached to it, it doesn't work. And in a way, yeah. I think he became a prisoner of his own trap. You know, he yes. sort of became, yeah. he wants to move away from the controversy and from the people he used to associate himself with. That made him famous, by the way. 
Mm-hmm. And and now he's trying to go back to oh, but I this is not about this. This is about me, and I'm the designer. And mm-hmm. it's not believable. It's just not believable. No, you know? no, no. Of course. Not. So in a way, it's kind of strange what's going on. It's like he's trying to redeem himself or something. I don't know. It's very. Mm-hmm. That's very exactly bizarre, what's happening. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I really do think you are absolutely right that he actually has a soul and he's now like caught in this like oh look what i've done yeah but you know what too, too fucking late yeah okay yeah like you've made your bed and also i'm sorry like where's the work hmm. you want to talk about craftsmanship where where's the work and and i also like people people say that uh you know the couture stuff is amazing but i have my issues with that as well Mm. Uh, it's just yeah the whole thing is just like yeah but the Kokomond the culture I don't even think there's a clientele it's just a media opportunity and the first couture show was strong and then the second one when you have Mm -hmm. Nicole Kidman and this this woman from this stupid property reality TV show I mean when you gather all these people in one room you're just begging for Instagram you know you're just begging for Instagram coverage and buzz and I think that's Mm. that's it I mean he's not going to change that and he benefited from that very system himself you know? Oh yeah, big time. I will That's te- what made him rich and famous. I will tell you, there was one woman that was not in the show. Did you notice one very important woman is in his career that was not in the show? And do you know who that Ooh. was? Lota, Lota Volkova oh, didn't yeah. walk the oh, show. Oh, you're right. She didn't walk the show, and I thought that was not very elegant on his part because. Yeah. Well, I think owes- I imagine they fell out a long time ago. Yes, but I think still you could be elegant and you could, you know, you could acknowledge the fact that without Lotta, uh, who created the whole aesthetics at Vetmon Balenciaga, he wouldn't be where he is today, you know? So, uh, yeah, yeah. True. so selective memory, you know, fashion memory, as, as, we, as mm. we know. But, yeah, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. But I have a feeling the fight between them and, and Guram too, you know, that's now it's Guram, yes. Yeah. So that, which is quite funny, you know, it's entertaining. I mean, I'm loving this whole thing. It's sort of like, it's sort of like <laughs> that. It's sort of like Dynasty before the reboot, you know, so it's kind of hilarious. Yeah. And, and I mean, I don't, I don't know how far Guram is going to go with this because it's kind of, I mean, it, it makes him look really bad as well, but he's, you know, he seems to enjoy yeah. it. So, um, yeah. 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 He just can continue doing this because he's so rich and he's married to a Russian oligarch and they live in Switzerland. So, you know, they're fine. Yeah. He can play a creative designer for the rest of his life. So yeah, yeah, yeah. It doesn't matter. <laughs> it's sure. Um, but with them, like I, like I wrote in, in an article, I was like, you know what? If you're so much against the fashion system, then fucking quit and start your own mm. brand. Considering who you are, you'll have investors yeah. lining up around the block. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but you know, it's, in not, strange... it's not a matter of oh, I won't be able to pay my rent if I quit. Yeah, what was interesting not... about that show it was the show that was the less ironic and the less sarcastic he's ever done. You know, uh, and he mm-hmm. tried to make it emotional. It wasn't particularly emotional, but he tried. No, and at the end of the no. day, it almost felt like a farewell. Strangely, I mean, did you get that feeling that it was like a swan song? Mm-hmm. It's like saying, you know. Yeah. You know, a little bit like kind of, you know, um, 
it's it's not about me anymore. It's about this woman. And it's an homage, and homage shows very often. You know, they can be the end of something. So I don't know. We'll see. Um, we'll see. How did that's, you? That's an interesting thought. Oh, you you could be right. That's mm. a, that's a really interesting thought. Maybe he's getting ready to leave, which he's would make total his next sense. Step. Yeah, 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 preparing his next time. I mean, I'm what did you think of McQueen, the McQueen show, Sarah Burton's last show? I'm gonna be honest, I didn't see, so you're gonna have to tell me. Okay, well, it was actually Sorry. very McQueen in a way, and very her. And I have to say, you know, I don't really understand why she's not there anymore. I mean, was what was it? What was it that she was doing wrong? I think it was selling fine. I don't think it sells, Philip. Okay, all right. Sense. Okay, so that's it. Yeah, yeah. yeah, more money. No, yeah, I could be wrong, but I don't. You know, obviously those stupid sneakers. Helped. Yeah, that's true. They, yeah, yeah, they were really popular. That's true. Uh, but I don't think uh, they want to make more money make out of it. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Okay. So and she's been there for what? It's been ten years now. Yeah, thirteen. Yeah, 13. A, it was twenty ten that McQueen committed suicide. So because. Again, like technically, it was very accomplished. There were very beautiful mm -hmm. pieces, very powerful. And I felt that, you know, it was, um, it, it is probably time to change and get a new designer. But yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. I heard Travis Scott is available. <laughs> uh, you know, who else do we have out there? Uh, Asa Prague. Oh, yeah, I know we have quite a few candidates. Little so. Lucy there. We've got people, you know, we've got people. <laughs> yes, we've got talent. Yes, we've got talent. Yeah, we've got talent. <laughs> well, I'm I'm hoping that the PRs will call us to attend uh, Farrell's next show because you know, I mean, we we have to we have to be there. I mean, of course, you know. Yeah, yeah. Listen, we're we're almost friends because I saw him. I took a picture of him backstage at Sakai. So oh, did you? Us, <laughs> yeah. I was like, ah, I'll do it. And then I was like, I, I'm going to put it on Instagram. And I was trying to think of a funny caption, and I was like, I have no energy. I like this. This this no longer evokes anything. <laughs> so, no. But, but hey, listen, the Sakai show was incredible. I miss that too. Yeah, unfortunately. Yeah, it was just like, I mean, I'm tired of saying this, but Chitos is just going from strength No, she's strength. fantastic. She's fantastic. Yeah. Wow. Just the construction, the silhouette. I like that she turned down the ornamentation just to, just to show people what she can do technically, her prowess. Mm -hmm. And I was yeah. like, this is goddamn amazing. I was like, what a, what a note to end on. That actually made my whole week on some level because I did feel good like this last couple of days. I was like, this was worth it. Yeah, I mean, it was the same in June, right? When you remember in this scorching mm -hmm. heat that we, were, we waited so long and then the show started and everything was just perfection. Even the card collab yeah. was like perfect. I mean... And there yeah, was not yeah. one silhouette that looked uh, out of place. Everything was really, really nicely, uh, nicely structured. So yeah, she, she's. I think she's still underrated, though. And I think now there are more and more people talking about her and acknowledging that she's a major designer. But you know, um, there's still room to go. I think she's underrated still. You know, so um, yeah, more people, sh yeah, more people yeah. should know about her. It would be interesting again. I, I, you know, I would love to see her in Burberry. I'd love to see her in a bigger house. You know, to see mm -hmm. what she would do. 
I mean, it would be exciting. Yeah, you know? will probably be tough. It's fine, but you don't see Japanese designers except Nigo with Kenzo. Now I wonder why. I wonder if, if Tokyo is just so far removed that they will probably have to move the their own studio bit. there. Yeah, something like yeah, that. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. But I have it since Pharrell was there, and it was like very public the kissy kissy thing. There's probably mm -hmm. going to be a Louis Vuitton Sakai collab. That's okay. probably will be announced. Oh, here we go, another one. Makes total sense. I have to say, like, they all love her, which is great. You know, it's like, she's just, like, all no, she's, like, she's, Kim Jones. I'm like, at least you're right. You're liking all the right people. Yeah, she's highly respected. I mean, she's, she's the real deal, mm. for sure. So, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I think we've come to our last show, unless you have anything else to add. No, I think we really covered like the most the most important ones and the most important yeah. moments. So definitely. Yeah. Well, this was great, and uh, yeah, like I said at the beginning, um, the result of all this uh, unpleasantness of just getting to shows, wrangling invitations, being in shows, I have to reconsider if I will be coming back for women's I may just still stick with men's for a while because mm -hmm. it's much easier uh, and like I said it's 2023 I can do this from the comfort of my home of course you can yeah it's called technology yeah yeah um, on that note Philippe thank you as usual always a stimulating conversation I really appreciate you uh, no thanks on. to you Eugene it was always exciting until the next about. time Collections, yes. Bye. <laughs> bye bye. You've been listening to the Styles I Guys podcast, hosted by Eugene Rapkin, produced by Patrick Leduc, intro and outro music by Wesley Isolt of Cold Cave. Please support us on Patreon at www.patreon.com forward slash Styles Thank you for listening. <laughs>